It's going to be a tough sermon for me today. It's been tough to prepare. It's been tough to even think about because my childhood was literally branded by shame. I don't know if you had this thrown at you when you were little. Shame on you. Uh, when you were really in trouble, all three names. Shame on you, John Herbert Schmicky. I remember that. Phrase you see on the screen is etched in my soul. And even today brings awful feedbacks. Shame. And the phrase, shame on you. If you use that phrase with your children or your grandchildren, would you please stop immediately? There is no more damning curse you can place upon a child. Under, circumstance, under certain circumstances, they might and probably should feel guilty, but they should never feel shame. Because guilt means you did something wrong. Shame means you are something wrong. Now, I want to tell you my story. I was raised in a blue-collar, lower-to-middle-class family in the Chicago area. My dad was a steelworker. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. My dad had a temper like Mount St. Helens, ready to explode at any time. He was completely and endlessly frustrated and angry and upset. My mother was emotionally and mentally unstable, fragile. She had five nervous breakdowns. I personally watched her have three of them. Looking back, my sister and I are convinced that she was actually choosing to have a breakdown. It was her way to escape. It was her way to get even with whomever might have uh, hurt her, if only in her imagination. And she had quite an imagination. All this relates to shame. Neither of them had graduated from high school. When the Great Depression hit, they had to drop everything and do everything they possibly could to help their families survive in the hard times. Now, when I came along, I was a good kid, and I tried to please them. I did my best in school, but, but my dad was a perfectionist. German, you know, nothing was ever good enough. It could always be better. And when I did well in school, I think they felt threatened. They wanted to be able to control me. So they would say things like, you did well, but think what you could do if you really applied yourself. Imagine what you could accomplish if you really tried. My sister remembers them talking right outside of my bedroom, supposedly to each other, but loud enough so that I could hear every word, telling each other how disappointing I was, how they wished I could be a better boy. Once, when she couldn't stand it any longer, she came out of her bedroom and said, Is that the way you really feel? Oh, no, they said. We're just talking. Right outside my bedroom door. I heard it all. I could go on and on. When I invited Diane to come to our house for the first time, I wanted her to meet my, my family. She stayed the night. And my parents locked, locked me in the basement. And I was never more humiliated in my life, ever. And I was sitting there in the darkness in the basement thinking, this woman is never going to come back with me, come back ever with me. 
You get the picture. They wanted to shame me. It was brutal. It was consistent. It was, and it was effective. And I felt ashamed of myself from the earliest time I could possibly remember. And it all came to a head after Diane and I were married. And by the way, guys or gals, if you think our marriage is good, I want to give all the credit to her. She married a project. I literally had no Christian role model while growing up. I did not know a Christian man, and outwardly so, a Christian father. I had no idea about anything. And I was so lucky to have someone, anyone, love me like Diane does. In fact, guys, that's how I feel about any woman in any marriage. I sincerely believe this, fellas. If you are lucky enough to have a good woman fall in love with you, it is the luckiest thing that ever happened to you. And I mean it. Don't laugh. I really mean it. She helped me tremendously. But it all came to head when we were attending Elmbrook Church, and I was considering going into the ministry, or at least getting more involved in leadership of the church. Trinity College was having extension courses there. One was on counseling, and I decided to take it. The class was on shame. See, everything was fine. It was all about counseling until we got to this segment about how people, how to help people dealing with shame. Covered mostly basic stuff. The professor described shame and its effects, and he explained how to help people, and much of which I'm going to cover this morning. It hit me like a ton of bricks. It ran over me like a truck. For the first time in my life, I realized that shame isn't normal. Shame isn't the way I was. When the class was over, I just sat in my seat. I was stunned, absolutely stunned. And the professor was leaving. Everybody was gone. He asked me if I was okay. Oh, sure, I'm fine. Thanks. I was broken. So I went into the men's room, and I knelt down in front of a toilet, and I cried my eyes out. I threw up supper. Then lunch, probably breakfast, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't stop. But eventually, I had to stop. They were going to lock the building. I didn't want the maintenance people to find me curled up on the restroom floor, so I gathered up what was ever was left of myself and walked out to the parking lot. I sat down next to my car under one of the lights, and I asked God why he had let my childhood be that way. And what was he going to do about it? For one of the few times in my life, before or since, I literally cried out to God. Of course, I had my Bible, very Bible, this one. And the wind was gently blowing, flipping the pages. And it opened to page 1288. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 which became my life verse. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I packed up my Bible. 
I thanked God for his promise, and I drove home. Now, as you can imagine, you can't overcome a lifetime of horror in a quick day or two. I couldn't. You won't. There's no delete button on your emotions. But at the conclusion of this sermon this morning, we're going to invite you to come forward for prayer. And when you do, and notice I didn't say if you come forward, I said when, you may feel exactly the same way I did that night. Questions would go through your mind something like this. Could this possibly be true? Can I really claim that promise? When will this happen? How will this happen? You'll probably have a a strange bubbling cauldron of emotions. Relief, fear, faith, doubt, hope, bubbling all over the place. No sweat. Admit it. Expect it. And when the invitation is coming forward, come. When I invite you, just come. There will be people up here to help you and pray with you. Now, what exactly are we talking about here? What is shame? What, is it, what does it mean? How does it work? Well, first of all, and most importantly, shame is not guilt. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. Here's some words to express it. See if you hear anything that relates to you or or someone you love. Damaged. Broken. Flawed. I'm dirty. Ugly. Impure. Disgusting. I'm unlovable. Weak. Pitiful. I'm insignificant. Worthless. Unwanted. All of these words express shame. And all of this is so often, so awful, and so common that I actually, I'm afraid I risk offending you, some of you, because you may not feel ashamed of yourself. You may resent some old preacher supposedly accusing you. Well, this old preacher isn't accusing anyone. I'm just listing some possible expressions of shame. If you see yourself somewhere on this list, you might not see the same person looking back at you in the mirror. Because what happens when we feel shame? What is it like? We are vulnerable to perfectionism. We try to mask it over with error-free performance. I'm not going to make any mistakes. I've got nothing to be ashamed of. You might find it very difficult to admit failure, because all of us are more critical of ourselves than we are of anybody else. We don't like, we might see our faults mirrored in somebody else. We get really mad at somebody else when they got the same weakness we do. We're mad about that one, because we don't want to be mad about us. We become judgmental of others. Lots of times we focus on the worst possible outcome. What would be the worst one? What could be the worst thing that could possibly happen? We start sabotaging relationships and sabotaging opportunities. We can't take criticism. Hypersensitive to criticism. Why? We already believe it. We don't need to be reminded. We feel ashamed. Now, all of those tendencies that I just described reflect our self-image. The one that was imposed on us by others. Guilt is not a natural state. 
guilt is imposed on you by someone else. Someone else put their brand on your forehead. Someone else put you into their mold. When that happens, we have precious little good to say about ourselves. But what does God say about us? I love Isaiah 54, 4. Listen to this. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. Now, God said that to the Israelites, but they couldn't get it. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't accept it or grasp it. Why? Because they had been slaves for over 400 years. And you don't forget something like that that's been your identity your entire life and discard it too casually. Can't really easily discard it. If you, were, if you were a slave in those days, you really were worthless. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You see, they were out of Egypt. Egypt was not out of them. All of them were what you might be and what I was for years. Or you might be right now, free outwardly, a slave inwardly. Unfortunately, God has the final word. God always has the final word. Joshua 5, 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. If you're going to write anything down, I want you to write this down right now. Others say, shame on you. God says, Shame off you. Write that down. The key is to focus on Christ. Don't focus on you. The more you focus on you, the more you'll be disappointed. The more you focus on Christ, the more you will be encouraged. The more you will be lifted up. Okay, what are the, now, what do we practically, how do, what do we conclude from this? What can we draw from this? What are we supposed to do? Well, there's a whole lot of opinions that immediately come to mind or should. Here they are. I am not bad because in Christ I'm forgiven. I am not spiritually sick because of Christ I'm healed. I am not broken because of Christ I'm new. I am not disgusting because of Christ. I'm loved. Now trust me, conclusions like that are literally mind-blowing depending on the condition of your mind. I mean, we're talking life-changing here now. You see, our God still rolls heavy stones away. And let him roll the heavy stone of shame away from you today. Now let me say it again. You can and should come forward when I close this morning. If shame is the problem, Christ is the solution. When, not if, when you come forward, you're going to realize a whole new perspective on yourself. Maybe this is beginning to dawn on you even now. But as you do, I want you to consider one other aspect of shame, one that you'll have to overcome, as I did. Here it is. Shame is a lot like PTSD, 
post-traumatic stress disorder. You've probably heard about it, about soldiers who, in combat, you know, there's horrible things happening to them. They, have, they do horrible things. And after you're back and you're living in peace and the war is over, you're still dealing with it. It's still breaking into your life. It's still invading your dreams. It's still affecting your emotions. Your shame is your problem. Christ is the solution. And, and specifically about post-traumatic stress disorder with shame, listening to Christ is the solution. Let me tell you a story. I've, I hope it's true, but I haven't been able to track it down. I've heard it many times. At the turn of the last century, early 1900s, there was a young girl, and she was to be the next queen of her country in Scandinavia. The problem was her birthmark. She had an ugly birthmark that marred her face, and it affected her terribly, and it became too much. So one day, she ran into her room, shut the door, pulled all the drapes closed over the windows, broke all the mirrors so she couldn't see her reflection, and sat there alone in the darkness. King and queen knew right away something had to be done. And facial surgery was just being developed at the time, and they brought in the finest surgeon they could find. And with their daughter's permission, surgery was performed. Her face was wrapped up in bandages for weeks. And then came the wonderful day when the bandages are to be removed. And it was done. The mother was thrilled. Darling, she said, you look beautiful. And she held up a mirror. And the daughter said, no, I'm ugly. And she smashed the mirror and ran back into her room. I'm still ugly. Now they realized they had an even more serious problem. The daughter had been unattractive, that had been cured, but she still felt ugly. And that had to be cured as well. A world-renowned psychologist was brought in. He met with the girl for weeks, counseling her, encouraging her. Very little progress. So one day, he suggested they just go for a walk. Well, she agreed, but she demanded to be completely covered. So he said, okay. And it was very hot outside. So with a lot of wisdom, he got the heaviest cloak he could get, put it on her with a big hood on it so nobody would see her face. And they quietly walked through the village. But the heavy cloak became too hot. Pretty soon, she flipped back the hood Then she took off the cloak and handed it to the counselor. They continued their walk. And all the while, the counselor whispered in her ear, See how the people look at you? See how they stare? They're admiring you. They think you're beautiful. See the young men. They admire you. They think you're beautiful. And finally... She not only heard him, but she listened to him. And she went to the fountain in the center of the town and looked at her reflection. And for the first time in her life, she saw a beautiful young woman looking back at her. And she returned to the castle and began her preparations to take the throne. Now, what does that have to do with you? Well... You lie in bed at night and remember all the things you did wrong that day. All the time you fell short 
You remember your past and all the bad decisions you made, problems you caused, the people you hurt. Satan comes and whispers, you're ugly, you're a failure. You did bad because you are bad. But there's another voice, a still, small voice, who also whispers, I love you. I think you're beautiful. Ever since I did that spiritual surgery on you, you're a whole new person. Believe me, I think you're beautiful because you are. Who are you going to listen to? The voice from the darkness that accuses or the voice from the light that loves? Is that stating it too strongly? Is it so hard for you to believe that Christ loves you that much? And I understand it. That's another aspect of shame. It is so hard to accept love because you genuinely feel you don't deserve it. You know Christ loves you, but you can't believe, you can't bring yourself to actually feel it, to feel that it's really true. Well, it is true, and I can explain it. Remember when you held your newborn baby? A couple of them here today. Or someone else's even. One of your grandkids. I don't know about you, but I was completely unprepared for how much I was going to love that baby. When they were born, I mean, I was literally uncontrollably in love with this thing. Immediately. I wanted the best for them. It was that way from the start. All through their lives, I was thrilled about everything, everything. Their first word, their first step, first bike ride, first day at school. Remember how that was? Remember that love that welled up inside of you for this baby? That's how you felt when each child was born. And in a very small way, but comparative, that's how God feels about you when you were born again. He actually loves you more than that. And that level of love will be waiting for you when you come forward this morning. God is not your parents. God is not your siblings. God is not your friends or anyone else who might have shamed you or humiliated you, either accidentally or on purpose. His love will free you and encourage you like Diane's did for me. And ultimately like the Lord did for me. Because of his love, you are not what you did. You are who Christ says you are. You are not your past. You are not what you did. You are not what someone did to you. You are not who others think you are. You are not who you think you are. Here is who you are. Here is what you are. Free. Forgiven, changed, redeemed, healed, blessed, cursed, chosen, complete, accepted, a child of God. I'm going to leave this slide up now. I invite you to come forward. We want to pray for you and with you. And I'd like to add the elders and the other people on staff and maybe the prayer warriors that we have. We want to encourage you. We want to help you heal.
we want you to lift up your head. You're a child of the king. Let's pray. Shame is so destructive. Shame is so insidious. But thank God, salvation is complete. Sin is enslaving. Faith generates freedom. And Lord, I pray for every person here, everyone, that they would know themselves, that they would see themselves as you see them. And if today is their day, I pray that today is the day when they would be set free. I pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name because I truly believe that if he were here, this would be his prayer. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction, please? And you already know what it's going to be. And then I'd like you to sit down just for a second and think before you leave. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.